At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Thanks for tuning into our series, The Follower's Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus, where we're asking the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? As we walk through Jesus' farewell discourse to His followers in the book of John, we'll learn to follow in the steps of Christ as He marks out the way of discipleship for us. Please, if you have your Bible, make your way to John chapter 16 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. John chapter 16. Last week, Katie and I went with some of our team to an out-of-state missions conference with another one of our global partners, TTI. It stands for the Timothy Initiative, who does church planting all across the globe. It's really an incredible, incredible ministry. And as we were preparing for that trip, whenever you're packing, you have to ask yourself the question, do I have everything that I need? And what I've learned through a couple decades of marriage is there are at least two types of people when it comes to how you prepare for a trip. One type we'll call type A. Type A is a lot like my wife. She is time sensitive. She's going to be at the airport early. She is detail oriented. She makes lists and then she makes schedules and then she makes more lists and Amazon packages start showing up at our door days, weeks in advance to make sure she has all that she needs. Everything gets laid out, double checked and triple checked and she has these handwritten notes in pencil in her at a glance calendar that she's used since college and she's checking stuff off and making sure she gets through her list. And then she asks at the end of the process, do I have everything that I need? And type A type packers never think they have everything they need. They always feel like there's something they're going to forget. There's something they can't put in the suitcase. There's something else that they'll need to bring along. Now I'm a type A person in most of my life, but when it comes to packing for trips, I'm what we'll call this morning a type B. Type B thinks if we need to leave our house to catch our plane at 10 a.m., I think like 9.50 is plenty of time to pack for that trip, preferably 9.55, and I still think that that's probably more than is needed. And so if you're sitting next to somebody from your household or you've spent some time with in life, you already know what type of packer they are. You already know what type of person they are, but that type B person when it comes to packing, that's me. And so I close up my suitcase after four or five minutes and I ask the same question, do I have everything I need? And of course I'm thinking, of course I do. I have everything that I need. There's nothing I would have forgotten in this short amount of time. Now, we got on the plane, we showed up at the hotel, and the first time I go to put on a new set of clothes, I realize, as the type B person, I don't have everything I need. Um, I don't have the clothes, I found out, that are supposed to go underneath your clothes. <laughs> I was missing what Amazon calls essentials. And so Amazon started making some deliveries as well to the hotel the next morning because I was not prepared. Let me spiritualize this for us uh, today. Some of us prepare and prepare and prepare and we read the scripture and we spend time in prayer with the Lord and we sign up for classes, we practice spiritual disciplines, we spend time in spiritual community, we take in the teaching of 10 or more Christian leaders every week, but sometimes we still struggle to believe that we have what we need to flourish in our lives and overcome the world. And so if we don't think we have everything we need to cover our bases, what we do, what this type of person does, spiritually speaking, is we diversify our spiritual portfolio and minimize our risk so that all that risk gets covered. We believe that Jesus, 
Of course, we believe he can get us to heaven, but if we're going to really enjoy life, we need to hold on to some of the things in the world. I need to fill up my Jesus cistern so that it does not run dry, but I need to fill up another cistern, perhaps the cistern of money, so I have a little bit more security. Or I need Jesus, but I need to fill up another cistern with the right types of friendships and relationships. Then I'll feel valued and significant. I need Jesus in one cistern, but I need all these other cisterns so I'll have enough to drink. Then I'll have everything that I need. And just like the type A packer never thinks they have everything they need, this person never really thinks deep down that what Jesus provides us is enough. We might affirm the truth that we have been blessed, like Ephesians says, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and yet functionally, practically, our lives demonstrate the opposite. Now, other types of people, maybe those type B type of spiritual people, they, they don't do much preparation. They don't put in the work. Uh, they don't take time to hear from God through his word, through prayer, through community. These are so-called Jesus followers who don't spend much time with Jesus or Jesus' people, the church. Their, their faith cistern is empty. They're blindly built up, they, they've blindly built up this cistern called self-reliance or self-confidence or self-dependence. And they think their self-made cistern will help them flourish in life and overcome the world. They're missing something essential, but they don't even know it. They're blind to that reality. They're blind because they never really relied on Jesus at all. They've relied on themselves. Now, both types of people functionally do not believe that Jesus has supplied everything we need for life and godliness. One type believes that you need Jesus plus some other things, some other cisterns, and then you'll have everything you need. The other one says, yeah, you just need a little Jesus, but a lot of self-reliance and self-dependence, and then you have everything you need. It's reminding me of the words of the prophet Jeremiah to the nation of Israel. It could not be any more true for our people today, maybe Christians within our culture today, when he says in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 12, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. If you don't feel like you've got everything you need, maybe it's because you've built up a bunch of extra cisterns that are broken. There's nothing in them. And if you feel like you've got everything you need, but Jesus really isn't much involved in your life, then you're not drinking living water, you're drinking contaminated water that will kill you. What Jesus provides plus nothing equals everything we need. And that's how he ends this farewell discourse, the last conversation he has with his disciples. I have given you everything you need. And he talks about that sharing three essential resources that come through his life and ministry. Uh, his, his primary point of this whole conversation is really that his victory provides us with everything we need to follow him. So the first essential resource that he's given us is access, specifically access to the Father. Look at verse 25 of John 16. Jesus said, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. 
In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. So for the last four chapters where we've been throughout the series, the whole conversation, Jesus has been reassuring his disciples. He's been wanting to build up their confidence, not in their own independence, but in him. Remember John 14, verse 1, when he said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Notice what he says. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe in the Father, the first person of the Trinity. Believe in the Son, the second person of the Trinity. He does not say, believe in God, believe in me, and believe in yourself. He just says, believe in God and believe in me. That's what you need. Now their hope, it was centered on Jesus. That's the right person. But at this point in the story, they had the wrong hope. They had a different version of hope, a different narrative of hope. They had designed their own future, and it wasn't the same as God's designed future. And once they realized that their preferred future is different from God's stated future, all of a sudden, now they're filled with anxiety. They're troubled. Same happens to us. We have our plans, but if our plans are not placed under the submission of God's plans, following his ways, then where do we end up? In the same exact place, troubled hearts. And so they're thinking, but you're saying you're going away. You're saying you're going to leave us. How are, how are we to know what to do or what to say or how to live? And so Jesus says, well, I've given you this first essential resource. And what I've given you is access, direct access to the Father. Let me show you this from the text. He tells them a time is coming when everything he's been saying to them will make sense. That's verse 25. Have you ever been in a class or with a professor and, or maybe you're like taking Spanish in high school or whatever it is and you're like, I have no idea what the teacher is saying. I just have no idea. That's kind of the place where they're at. They're like, I don't fully understand, Jesus, what you've been saying to us. And at the moment, they don't get it. It's like Jesus is speaking a different language. It's like what we just heard from Philip. People have the text, they have the word, but they're not able to understand the word. And so it needs to be communicated to them in a, in a way that they can understand. Their confusion had to do with their relationship with God the Father. So they, as being brought up in the Jewish faith and Jewish culture, uh, they didn't have our fully orbed theology. And so let's look at that theology for a second. Jesus, the eternal son of God, came to make the Father known. So John tells us in John chapter 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. In other words, Jesus has made the Father known through his life. Jesus mediated the Father's presence to the world, but, but now the Father himself is accessible through Jesus' victory over sin, death, and the grave. So the disciples of Jesus don't need to suppose that God the Father is against them. They don't need to suppose that he is withdrawn from them and therefore they need some kind of compassionate mediator so that the Father will listen to them. Instead, Jesus came to give full access to the Father. And in essence, what he's saying is, I don't need to ask the Father for you all the time. I know you've been asking me to ask the Father, but I don't need to do that all the time anymore. 
We know in the scripture that Jesus continues mediating for us to the Father, but it's not always necessary. He says there's times where I don't need to do that. Why? Because as I have loved the Father and received the Father, you have loved me and received me. Therefore, the Father is now yours. You have full access to the Father. You can speak, he will listen. St. Augustine says this about this text. He says, the son does not ask the father, but father and son together hear those who ask. So verse 28 sums up the entire mission. Jesus says, I came from the father to show you the father. And now that my life, death, and resurrection were looking now on the other side of the cross, they weren't there yet in the story. But now that that has won you complete access to God through faith, I'm going back to the father. So the Spirit of God, now comes in the third person of the Trinity, he illuminates our hearts towards the Son of God. And the Son of God illuminates the way for us to gain full access to God the Father. Now what's the result of all of this? What's the result of this triune theology that we find within the text? That through faith in Jesus alone, no other cistern, through Jesus alone, you have nothing standing between you and the love of God. There is nothing standing between you and God's love because of Christ, because of what he has done. Through Christ, you have been given a house key to the kingdom. There are no rooms that are closed off to you. We have access. We can draw near straight into the house of God, straight into the Father's presence without fear. Now you think about that. I don't know if our society or culture really appreciates that because I believe that There's not a lot of fear of God left in our society today. Would you agree? Do people really fear God? But when you stop and meditate upon it, if you're not an agnostic or an atheist, if you actually believe there is a creator, an intelligent relational creator who is both transcendent, he is set apart, he is holy, he is omnipotent, all-powerful, he is all-knowing, he is omniscient, that's what it means, he is omnipresent, he is all-present, he is before all things, above all things, will exist long before all the things of this world fall apart. If you believe in that transcendent God, but also believe in an imminent God, that he is able to be close, that he is your father, your Abba, that he is perfectly righteous, that he knows every single thing about you, every thought that goes through your mind, your first breath from your last and has the power over your life and death. If you are actually stepping into that being's presence, what's your response well, we know from Scripture, every man or woman who ever came into the presence of God, they all fell face down. Reverence. They fell face down. And yet the text is telling us, yeah, but through Christ, there is that reverence. There is that healthy fear of God, but he is also now your father, just as he has been mine. That access to that relationship, Jesus says, is now completely open to you. You don't need to fear. You don't need to think he is distant. It's like a pastor's kids at church. I've been here for 20 years. My kids, they run around this place like they own it. Uh, We called Josiah, my 14-year-old son, uh, a few weeks ago during church service, and we said, where are you? And he said, I'm laying on a couch. He said, I'm laying on the couch, actually. I'm laying on the couch. What couch? The couch in Pastor Chris's office. Okay. I had no idea you knew how to get in there or had access to that 
couch in his office. And so he's in there with Zoe Brooks, Pastor Chris's daughter, and my daughter, Leah, and they're all just hanging out. There's no fear. They, they just think, hey, this is where we can go. We could just walk right in. We could just go right in. They're comfortable within the environment. So through Jesus' completed work to atone for our sin, we can relate directly to God without a go-between, without an intercessor, without fear or any kind of secondary mediator or priest. This is where so many religious systems get it wrong, get it so wrong. Hebrews 9 and 10 talk about this, that there's one mediator between God and man, and once we've received Jesus through faith, we have access into the very presence of God. What is it in us that this is how it often goes? When we come to faith, we come to faith saying, thank you, Father, for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for your mercy. Thank you for your gift of salvation. I know I can only receive it as a free gift from you. It is only by your grace. And then what we do is we spend the rest of our lives then trying to earn and perform for that same grace, which is already ours. It's like we received it through grace, but we don't continue in grace. We received it in grace, but now we've got to earn it from the Father. Now we've got to prove it to the Father. Yeah, of course we have works to do, righteous works that he's planned beforehand for us, but ultimately it's already been given. Access has already been granted. You can already walk right into his presence, right into his home, and have full access to a conversation with him. You don't have to go through some other channel. So don't sit outside the house when you have the house key. A perfect heavenly father is inside. Warmth is inside. Provision is inside. A feast of his goodness is inside. So come back and drink from the cistern that runs over, the cistern that never runs dry. Jesus' victory provides us these three essential resources. The first, access. The second, clarity. Clarity. Look at verse 29. So his disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? It's a little sarcasm, rhetorical question. And we know it's that because of what he says next. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home, and will never, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. So the disciples assumed the hour was right then, but Jesus was speaking about the hour to come. He's specifically referencing the resurrection, which is not in their mind at the time. So they're like, we get it. We see what you're doing now, Lord. But then when the trial came, when the fire got hot, when the cross came into focus, when soldiers showed up, they all scatter. And their abandonment reveals their false assumptions. They needed a few more chapters before they could understand what was going on. Was God just trying to confuse them? Was he trying to be unnecessarily mysterious? No. He's still trying to root out of them their independence. That way of thinking when they say, we get it now, we get it, we get it, we can do it. He's trying to say, no, you're still not quite getting it. You need to fully rely upon me. God will relentlessly pursue you until every shred of self-reliant independence is gone and replaced with faith-filled dependence upon him. 
He will just chase and chase and chase that independent spirit out of us to bring us to a place of full dependence upon him and his spirit. And part of this training is to realize that even though we abandon him, he never abandons us. The glue of Christianity is not the disciple. The glue of Christianity is Jesus who will never abandon his own. And so when other relationships let Jesus down, his relationship with the Father sustained him. The disciples, they're shaky. They're unstable. They're scared. They cannot be counted on. The government, it's shaky. It's brutally violent. It's inconsistent. It could not be counted on. The Jewish leaders were conniving and jealous and self-righteous. They could not be counted on. Who can you count on? Who can you count on for clarity? Uh, The only one in the story and the only one in your life and my life that does everything he says. That's the one we should count on. And that's where we find clarity. Jesus, think about his words. He's not trying to be mysterious. Jesus has told the world who he is. He says, I am the Messiah, the son of God. He said why he came, to seek and save the lost. We know what he did. He proclaimed the gospel, the good news, in both word and deed. We know how he did it. Through perfect obedience to the Father, a reliance upon the Spirit, through miraculous signs, through his preaching, through demonstrating faith, hope, and love to the world. We know what it all meant, that we will have forgiveness of sins and life everlasting through faith in his sacrificial death and resurrection. We know what he wants us to do, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. What he says, he does. What he promises, he completes. What he instructs, he expects. Jesus brings clarity like no other human being in history. So the problem is not whether our faith is confusing or whether God is just trying to be mysterious and withhold his will from us. The problem is he's speaking clearly to us through his word, through community, and yet when we mix in our own worldly desires, it all gets kind of tossed into a stew that we can't discern. Jesus is not trying to be mysterious to you this morning. What's the application of all of this? If you want direction for your life, and there's so many times in life where we need it, we need direction, he will give it to you. He will give it to you. If you want to know how to respond to what you're going through, he'll show you. If you need clarity, He'll give it to you. The things you need, he's the one that will provide them. The question for us, is he the one that you're running to for clarity? This is often how it goes. Well, I have this situation going on and, and, and man, I, I'm, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna talk to my friend and hopefully they'll bring me some clarity and I'm gonna get really anxious and worked up about it so I'm gonna talk to family and they're gonna give me their opinion then I'm gonna listen to all the pundits and all the other sources where I can try to get information and they're gonna give me some thoughts but I'm still kind of overwhelmed. I still have no idea what to do, where to go, how to respond. I don't know what to say. I'm talking to all these people. Nobody's got something good for me to say and only when we come to the end of the rope do we say, God, the one who is all-knowing, do you have something for me? Why do we wait so long? Do you think he's like wanting you to stay so far away from him so that, so that he can't ever speak? He's like, you got questions, you need clarity, you've got things you're working through, come to me. Abide in me. Drink out of my word. Drink from this cistern. Hear me through all those other brothers and sisters I've surrounded you well with. Through my word, through prayer, through meditation. Come to me. I'll give you what you want. 
I'll give you clarity. And then when he gives it to us, are we able to receive it? Now that's what they were faced with. Can they really receive the message he was sharing? He's given them access to the Father. Clarity gives the same things to us and the final resource he gives them is peace. Look at John 33, 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. Friends, if you want to know the secret to finding peace in your soul and your heart and your life, he says it right here, this little simple prepositional phrase, it's in me, in him. You can't find it any other place. And then he says this very famous statement, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The entire farewell discourse was meant to provide his disciples and all of us one thing, peace, peace. What does this peace look like? I'll tell you what the peace doesn't look like. This peace, he's not referring to some kind of tranquility of never having a bad day. It's not experiencing life without trouble. Peace isn't a yellow brick road full of financial success and free of major illnesses as long as you have faith. People preach that message. But it's not the gospel. And if it's not the gospel, then it's a lie. What does he say here? Jesus makes it very clear. Again, his words aren't really confusing. You will have tribulation. How do you interpret that, Christian? Like, you will have tribulation. Is there any other way to take it? How do you interpret that? The biblical interpretation means any followers of Jesus will experience the trouble that comes from living in a fallen, broken world and the trouble that comes from being hated and persecuted by those who love the world more than Christ. There's no other interpretation that's proper. You, you can't sugarcoat it. This is simply what he's saying. He doesn't say, you know, you will have comfort in the here and now. You will have financial success in the here and now. You will live to 99 in the here and now. You will do all these things. through. He, he says you will have tribulation. Now maybe you think, man, for our last conversation between Jesus and his disciples, we're coming to the end of the series. That's a pretty horrible note to go out on. But that's not where he leaves it. That's not where he leaves it. It's not actually bad news. He says, take heart. He means be courageous. Be courageous because you know that Jesus has overcome the world. He is victorious. He is conquered. And so that's where he leaves them. Now, I tend to read uh, a lot of Christian books that talk about theology and pastoring and leadership and spiritual things. That's pretty much all I read. My wife reads a lot of fiction. She is constantly reading. I always tell her, you need to start a book club because at the end of the year, she, every year she reads through 40, 50 books. It's like one a week. I mean, she's just reading books all the time. She doesn't have other major forms of entertainment. That's her thing. She's gonna read the books. And so she's reading books and every couple weeks I hear the same thing. She'll have her blanket, she'll have her tea, she'll have her book. She'll be you know, somewhere a quarter in, halfway through and she'll say something to the effect of, this is so good, I have no idea what's going to happen. I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't know where this story is going. And, and, and she's like turning the pages so fast, reading so fast, because she wants to figure out how this story is going to go. And, and I'm sitting back there like with the game on thinking, like, if you want to know where the story goes, 
If it were me, I'd just go to the last chapter. I, I mean, you could save yourself a lot of time by just going to the last few pages and find out who lives and who died and who's with who and what happened to him and what happened to her. And guess what? If you do that kind of approach, you won't just get through 40 or 50 books a year. You could get like through like 300. You could, you could understand so many stories. But she, it's like she likes to be kept in the dark. I don't like to be kept in the dark. And so it's the same thing with like a sports game. I mean, that's how I tend to like entertainment. So I'll always DVR games and the same thing happens every time. It's a football game or a basketball game or whatever it is. I get home. I know the results are already determined. Uh, it's already on my phone. I could just see the score, but I wanted to watch the game. So I start watching the game and, you know, I start going through it and it's like, man, this is taking so long. And so I just start fast forwarding, fast forwarding. And then if, if I see the score start going against my team, then I move it up to like four times as fast. So it just keeps going faster. And if it gets a little closer, maybe I'll slow it down. But eventually I come to the place like, I just want to go to the end and see what happens. And so that whole game, I was excited to watch it. You know, I really take it all in in like, I don't know, seven or eight minutes or so. And that's over. And then I have my answer. But here's the thing. I want to see what happens. The truth is, at this point in the story, when Jesus speaks these words, think about it, it is before all that is to come. Arrest was coming. Assault was coming. Interrogation was coming. Thorns were coming. Lashes were coming. Nails were coming. Darkness was coming. Death was coming. But he didn't focus on any of that. He didn't talk about that here. That's not how he finished the conversation, his last dialogue with his disciples. That's not what he said. He said it before. He said the Son of Man has to go to Jerusalem and suffer. This is God's plan of redemption to save humanity through faith. But he doesn't say that here. That's, that's not where he goes. He doesn't bring up the arrest or the assault or the interrogation or thorns or lashes or nails or tombs. All he says, he just jumps to the end and he says, here's what's really coming. All of those things might come and you'll see those as they get revealed in the next several hours. But ultimately, here's what I want you, my disciples, to know. At the end of the day, victory is coming. That's what he wanted to leave them with. Victory was coming. And it showed up. It showed up three days later. And if you know the story ends with victory, you can have peace when you're in the dark. I mean, so many conversations this week from Tuesday to Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and here we are. And people are like, what's going to happen? I, I, I don't know what's around the corner. And I'm, I'm so worked up about it. And I'm not, I'm not sure what to do. And I, I, I don't have peace. And I don't know what to do. And I don't know what to pray. And I don't know where to go. And, and what do we do as a culture? And what do we do as a society? And all these conversations. And it's like, why are we allowing all of these things to steal our peace. Do you think the disciples uh, in their context, I mean, all this stuff, all these horrible things were coming. And Jesus says, even though all of that is coming, even though he knew it was all coming, even though he'd alluded to all of it coming and he'd spoken it plainly to them before, he says, the thing I want you to remember is even through all of this, you can have peace. I don't know about you, but I feel like I need more peace in my heart. Pray for me. I have a house with two teenagers. I need peace. 
I just want to have a sense about me that regardless of what happens in politics and culture and around, we, we stand up for morality. We do what we feel like God's calling us to do. But at the end of the day, Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the world. I've given you peace. That's why I've said all of this to you. So don't leave this place, he says to his disciples, full of anxiety and trapped in what's to come. I think so many of us, if our, if our neighbors, if our friends, if our family saw us respond in these moments with complete peace when things don't go our way in life, that's, I think, when they would say, man, there is something so different about you. Where is that from? Where does that come from? It comes from Christ. It's a gift. Let's not allow the world to steal it from us. That's how we can demonstrate who he is. What do you need today? Do you need access? Are you here and you just need access to the Father because you've never received him? You, you've kept him at arm's length thinking you gotta clean it all up for first and you gotta perform for that grace. Jesus has performed it all for you. All of that perfect obedience wrapped up in his life, sacrifice, death, and resurrection. He's just pleading with you, receive it. I've given you full access to my house. Come inside. And some of you, that's exactly where you need to move today. I pray you have the courage to respond and receive Christ. For others, you're asking for clarity. You just don't know what to do next. You don't know what to say. You don't know how to respond with whatever the issue is, whatever the situation is. And maybe you've gone to all these different places to try to find answers or you've sat inside yourself, but have you listened to Christ? Have you allowed the spirit to speak to you the words of the father and found clarity? Clarity that's consistent with him. And maybe you need peace. That's what I needed this week as I prepared, just peace. I wanna be more full of peace this season. Uh, the holiday season started. I took my wife out to lunch yesterday. We were getting back in the car and of course it's busy up at Frankenmuth right now at Bronner's and man, the language and the rage that came out of people in that parking lot over Christmas ornaments. I could not believe it. It's just like peace. We just need to demonstrate peace. Is that what you need? Ask the Father for it, access, clarity, peace. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Father, I pray that if there be any here today or even watching online, Father, that need to receive you through faith, that they would understand that you have given the house key to your home through faith in Jesus. That's the response you ask of us that we lay it down and say, I'm dependent, completely dependent upon him. He is all I need. And when we take that step of faith, you bring us salvation. You give us your spirit. And Father, if there's any here today that need clarity, would you speak to them? And if there be any here today, certainly my heart, Father, we need peace. Would you give us peace? You've already given it through Christ. Would we receive it and hold fast to it in the midst of a storm, in the midst of chaos? And so, Father, we just receive from you today all that you have. You've already provided it. There's no fear in your house. There's no room we cannot enter. You love us through and through. You know us through and through. You've received us already in faith through and through.
So we simply rest in it. And even as we hear the story of the gospel, Father, we're about to sing it again from beginning to end. Jesus, because of his victory, has provided all of this for us. We have everything we need in Christ. So may our words and our lives lift up to you a life of praise, a response of worship. Receive now from us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.